brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Hello, it's Katie here. I just wanted to let you know that this interview with Pyle was recorded remotely. I'm sorry that the quality isn't the best throughout, but I think that what Pyle has to say is both insightful and important. So I do hope you'll enjoy our conversation. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Pyle Dalal. Pyle is the current Vice President for Global Programs at the MasterCard Center for Inclusive Growth. Born in Texas, she is alumni of both Stanford and New York universities. Her career spans public office, foreign policy, as well as delivering impact through multinational businesses. Pyle spent 10 years with Standard Chartered Bank, looking at both their public affairs and their global community programs. She's worked for other organisations such as the Earth Institute at Columbia University, the World Affairs Council, and she's worked on foreign policy for the office of the US President Bill Clinton. And then in 2014, President and Secretary Clinton appointed Pyle as a programme advisor to the Clinton Global Initiative. Pyle today serves as trustee for Global Impact UK. She's a fellow for the RSA and also for the Institute of Corporate Responsibility and Sustainability. Pyle, welcome. Thank you so much, Katie. It's a pleasure to be here. And thanks so much to the Business Fights Poverty team for hosting me. Pyle, so I'm really curious. Your career has spanned both public policy and impact. What's really motivating your career to date? I think, to be honest, I've always been purpose-driven. And so, you know, if we think about our hierarchy of needs, I think at different points in our careers, different things are critical or are required for fulfillment. And I think the constant common thread for me has been purpose throughout the different capacities I've served. So whether it was early in my career working for a nonprofit, trying to integrate education and international relations into the education system, or whether it's my work now in corporate philanthropy, for me, what's been really important to be fulfilled is having worked and be around people who care about social impact, however they want to interpret it, and to have that ability and that opportunity to actually make meaningful difference. And so MasterCard is increasingly respected for their social impact work. I mean, what do you think really marks this out? I think it's a number of things, to be honest. MasterCard is a really special place operating in a really exciting industry. I think payments is incredibly dynamic and there's so much opportunity for innovation. And I think that's true and actually translated into the social impact part of the house as well. So as background for your listeners, the MasterCard Center for Inclusive Growth is the philanthropic hub of MasterCard, the company. And we're really focused on four thematics. First is financial security. So making sure people not only have access to financial services and products, but actually feel comfortable, trust, and actually use those products. The second is around place-based economic development. So how can we make sure that people aren't poor because of where they're born or where they live? 
The third is around future of workers. And you'll note the difference in nomenclature. A lot of people talk about future of work. We're interested in future of workers because we want to make sure that the infrastructure of the worker of the future is actually reflective of what they need. So if you think about benefits, for example, right now, we are so dependent on benefits coming from our employer. So I lean on MasterCard to provide me with professional development opportunities and constant learning and development. If I am a contract worker, I don't necessarily have that safety net. So how do we make sure that we are updating that safety net for the 21st century? And our final thematic is around data for good. So how are we not only using our own data to glean important insights, but how are we helping build the capacity of civil society to make better data decisions? And you can see the scope and the breadth of the work of the center is really, really broad. And I think that's what makes it so exciting. But it also makes us really innovative because we can find different ways to connect these issues together. There are lots of common threads that we can look at, whether it's technology, whether it's data. And we're constantly on a mission for innovation. So we want to do philanthropy a little bit differently. For us, it's not just writing a check. While financial support is an important asset, it's not the only asset. We want to think about how we can leverage things like our own technology or our human capital or our network of relationships and stakeholders. And so that's what I think makes MasterCard and the Center for Inclusive Growth unique is we're trying to take a slightly different approach to philanthropy and be creative about what we can bring to the table. And with that in mind then, Payal, I mean, what are the sort of exciting projects that you're currently working on? Oh, gosh, there's so many, Katie. It's hard to just um, focus on a couple. Let me just highlight a few that are on the ground and running that maybe your listeners would be interested in hearing about. So the first, and I would say it's one of our largest grants to date, is a partnership we have with Acción. Acción is an institution that has lots of different value adds in social impact around the financial inclusion and financial security agenda. They have a lot of amazing research. They do a lot of interesting work in the microfinance field. They're really bringing concepts of financial health to bear and, and clarifying what we mean by financial health. We're partnering with Acción to look at different financial service providers around the world and contemplate how we actually help modernize and digitize. Now, I know that sounds like a lot of jargon, so let me perhaps take a step back and simplify. As I mentioned before, payments is a really dynamic space. Financial inclusion, financial access to finance, access to credit. There are so many players, there are so many developments and so many technologies that are coming down the pike. What we're seeing in a lot of markets is that traditional financial institutions like microfinance institutions, they are regulated like banks. And so they're held to very strict regulatory standards. You're seeing this new wave of financial technologies, fintechs also coming in, And they're not necessarily required to comply with the same set of rules. And so what you're finding is while fintech can be really exciting and really unlock opportunity for populations that haven't had access to traditional forms of finance, you're seeing that those safety nets of regulation aren't always there. And so sometimes consumers who might not be as savvy are vulnerable to things like predatory lending or opaque terms and conditions. And on the other hand, traditional financial institutions like microfinance institutions are losing out to these new disruptors. 
so what we're trying to do, because we know that there still is a really strong role for these financial service providers, including microfinance institutions, is we're working with Acción to try to help some of these microfinance institutions and some of these financial service providers modernize. And so what that means is we'll be introducing technology in different ways. It could be introducing fintech into their operations. It could be digitizing some of their back-end operations. It could be introducing new products. What that ultimately means is that the end consumer, whether it's an individual or a small business, is going to have better service, a better experience, and a better suite of products. And so that's one of the things we're doing, which we're really excited about because scale is quite large and we're intending to reach about 10 million people um, through our modernization effort. So that's one example. One other example I'll just touch on, which we just recently announced at our Global Inclusive Growth Summit, is a partnership with Care USA. We feel very strongly that women and women entrepreneurs play a hugely critical role in economic development, but oftentimes women entrepreneurs are the ones that lack the most access to capital and to capability and to opportunity. They simply don't have the same opportunities as their male counterparts. So what we're working with Care USA on is trying to unlock some of those inherent biases. We're focused on three markets which will give us a good cross-selection of kind of understanding and learning. So we're looking at Peru, Vietnam, and Pakistan, and we're going to be working with financial service providers in those markets to create new products for women entrepreneurs or to take existing products and actually tailor them so they better suit the needs for women entrepreneurs. Because you can imagine that women entrepreneurs, in many instances, have different needs in different circumstances than male entrepreneurs. Depending on the regulation of a country, women might not be, be eligible to have land in their names, right? They could only be that the title is supposed to be for men, which means that they may not have collateral or they might have alternative forms of collateral. So we have to think about the different dynamics that are at play in different cultural contexts and think about how we actually tailor our products and tailor those products for women. And so we're not only working with financial service providers to make sure that the market actually has products that are suitable for women's needs, but we're also working with various number of partners on the ground to start building that capacity and that capability because not everyone recognizes that they could use growth capital and how you would use growth capital and how to navigate and how to, how to actually use this to smooth cash flow, et cetera. And so we're really trying to pair together that access to capital with that access to capabilities. So those are two products that I think are quite interesting that are worth flagging, Katie. Oh, Pyle, they're so interesting. And it's super exciting always to hear like innovations of the ways that businesses from all different sectors are trying to fight poverty. So thank you very much for sharing. Thinking more about the role of business and social impact, I mean, at a sort of higher level, perhaps, could you share with us perhaps some of the trends that you're seeing across the social impact or the CSR space? Sure. And I, I kind of see it as a journey. And of course, you know, we can't lump all corporates together. Different entities in the private sector are going to be different on different places on that journey. But if I think about the evolution of social impact, we started maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago with corporate philanthropy. And this was, you know, there was a small pot of money within companies. Oftentimes it was discretionary and it was very much the CEO's decision of where they wanted to donate. And oftentimes, it was pet causes like the ballet or the opera 
or things that really resonated with some of the senior executives. It was noble, it was admirable, but it wasn't necessarily strategic. Then you saw the evolution from kind of pure corporate philanthropy that was just a bit of a checkbook to corporate social responsibility or corporate responsibility, where you saw more companies thinking about, okay, we have a moral obligation to invest in our communities. What could we do? And in some cases, those investments, those donations were aligned with the business, but in many cases, they weren't. But you started to see the development of corporate foundations. You started to see the development of specialized CSR or CR units within companies. Again, it was still a little bit of a, of a cost center as opposed to something that was really, really integrated with the business. You then saw an evolution from CR and CSR to ESG, and that's environmental, social, and governance. And I think this is where a lot of corporates still are, where they're thinking about all of the different components of environmental, social, and governance issues and the impact it has not only on the business, but on its people and on the communities it operates. And in a lot of contexts, ESG is very much about risk and materiality. And so what are the major, let's say, climate risks that might impact your business five or 10 years down the road? And how might you mitigate that? What are some of the major um, reputational issues that could really impact the business? And I think along the same time that you saw ESG becoming more prominent, you saw the rise of more conscious investors. So you started to have a segment called SRI, socially responsible investors. And you even started to see mainstream investors ask these pertinent questions because there was a maturity and a recognition that these issues of governance, you know, how diverse your board is and what kind of checks and balance you have and the impact of climate and how you're actually thinking about your role in community, people saw that as relevant to profit and bottom line. So people had moved on from kind of that Milton Friedman hypothesis of the only point is to maximize value to shareholders. I think where we're headed towards, and I think where MasterCard already is, instead of thinking about everything from a risk perspective, I think many corporates are starting to think it from an opportunity perspective. So the term we use at MasterCard is commercially sustainable social impact. You've heard a lot of talk about purpose-driven business. You've heard a lot of language around doing well by doing good. And I think it's really exciting because what it means is the private sector and corporates are recognizing that there is actual opportunity in looking at purpose and segments of the population that might not traditionally been target. And so corporates are thinking a little bit more innovatively about how they should be approaching their own businesses, their own products, their own, their own lines of service and delivery. And I think that's really exciting. And I think we're going to see more and more businesses start to flip risk to opportunity. And for all those listeners, this really is a 101 in how business is addressing social impact over the last 40 years. Pearl, just thinking sort of back to the work that you are doing in partnerships, why do you see partnerships as being so important? And in particular, if we're thinking about us globally trying to achieve the sustainable development goals? I think that's a great question. And I think it's really important that you couched it in the frame of the SDGs. In the conversations in international development, we know that we have to go from billions to trillions. We know there's a huge financing gap. And we know at the trajectory we're 
currently operating in, we are simply not going to achieve the SDGs. And of course, SDG 17 is all about partnerships. And so I think it goes without saying, and I suspect all of your listeners will agree that partnership is going to be one of the key levers to achieve the SDGs and to really get to that scalable social impact. I think we've heard about a lot of different models of partnership. You've heard about public-private partnerships. You've heard about the 3P partnerships. One of the notions of partnership we're really trying to champion at the MasterCard Center for Inclusive Growth is the idea of partnership between private sector entities. So private-private partnerships. How can two companies leverage their assets, financial, technology, human capital, network, reputation, brand, how can we leverage our collective asset to achieve sustainable development and sustainable social impact? And so what we have been doing is reaching out to like-minded corporates and forging really interesting social impact partnerships. Um, A couple of examples that I can highlight, we have been working with a number of garment brands to think about their supply chain and to think about financial inclusion and embedding and institutionalizing financial inclusion and financial security in their supply chains. It's a win for the brand because it creates more retention of staff and more efficiencies. It's cheaper for brands and factories because instead of doling out cash and spending five hours in line, this is all automated. And it's better for workers because not only do they have more readily accessible access to formal financial services, they're safer because they're not carrying large bundles of cash. And so what we're doing with a number of garment brands is we're introducing MasterCard technology to digitize payroll of garment workers. And the center is providing that much needed sociocultural education, not only to make sure that these workers have the financial literacy they need, and are able to understand how to use mobile wallets and that they do have access to cash if they need to, but also to help them navigate some of those social cultural issues that we want to prevent. We know that 75, 80% of garment workers are women. And we know in so many cases, these women are expected to hand their cash over to their male counterparts, whether it's their brothers, their fathers, their husbands. So how do we help them have those conversations so they have more agency of their own financial security And they have more control. And we don't see impacts that are unintended consequences like gender-based violence. And so that's a good example of what we're doing when we're doing private. I'll give you one more example, Katie, and that's partnership we've got with Unilever. We launched it in Kenya uh, a couple of years ago, and it was all about how do we unlock credit for micro and small businesses, especially those in Unilever's supply chain, because we know we've got data about those small businesses, right? We have consumption data. We have purchasing history of what those micro and small businesses are buying from Unilever. Is that enough information for us to extend micro credit so that we can help with cash flow and that we can ensure that they're not spending weeks with empty empty shelves, which means they have no customers? It's a win for Unilever because we're trying to find ways to unlock credit, which means that these micro and small businesses are able to buy more from Unilever. It's a win for MasterCard because these microcredit loans are happening over the MasterCard rails. It's a win for the center because ultimately our goal is to create and spur economic development. And we know that micro and small business are the backbone of the economy. And we know that access to capital is the big 
obstacle. So if we can unlock innovative ways of accessing capital, that will help with economic development. And so win for financial institutions, because what we're doing is creating a new proxy for credit to de-risk and demystify so many of these micro and small businesses. So in Kenya, in this example, our banking partner is Kenyan Commercial Bank. And so all of a sudden, we're giving Kenyan Commercial Bank new visibility into a pipeline of customers they didn't have access to and they didn't know enough about to deem borrowable. So those are two great examples of how we're trying to bring together some of our assets with some of our other private sector company partners to yield social impact. And Pyle, you're really combining innovation, your background is in public affairs, and you're driving impact from within business. What would be your career advice to others who are perhaps listening to this podcast today? I think it's to be flexible, Katie. You know, many of the positions I've landed in were not planned for. I think many of us are quite type A and quite organized and have our 20 and 30 year plan. And sometimes the decisions I made weren't actually according to my my personal PowerPoint. It was based on gut feelings. It was based on the feeling I got and the connection I had with potential colleagues I would be working with. And it was a sense of understanding the different entities I would be working with. So in banking, was I part of a bank that really thought about the emerging markets and the bottom of the pyramid? If yes, then that would be a much happier place for me than being part of a financial institution that really focused on kind of higher segments of the population when it came to income. With the payments company, with with MasterCard, it's been clear that purpose is in the blood of the company. And so I knew that I would be happier in a place like that, as opposed to a place that just saw social impact as a nice to have, not a critical. And so, so the advice I'd give, which is a bit roundabout, is to be flexible, to kind of sometimes allow yourself to go with those gut reactions. And to know that things don't always go to plan, but sometimes that, that is actually the plan. Oh, well, Pyle, um, very sadly, that brings us to the end of our conversation today. But thank you so much for sharing your insights, your innovation and your ideas with us. It's been super helpful. Thanks so much, Katie. Great to be here. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 